Frustration, disappointment, and burnout. Frustration, disappointment, and burnout. Welcome to the Inspiro Podcast, the podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist, transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future. Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems, whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're going to be exploring a lot of topics and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice. Frustration, disappointment, and burnout. Because all those work together to make for a bad experience. Over time, it can lead to helplessness. And one of the features of burnout is helplessness. People that feel like that there's something they can do about problems typically don't burn out. It's when you feel like there's nothing I can do about a problem or this isn't getting any better. I'm doing my best and it still doesn't isn't working for me. I'm still disappointed in the team or the practice or the patients or the whatever. Uh, and I can't do anything about it. That's when we hit burnout territory. Burnout is basically another word for systemic helplessness. I'm going to focus on frustration from both angles here for a second. So personally, I can relate to being a leader in a practice, trying to make changes, not seeing them as quickly as I'd like and being frustrated and then giving up and saying, okay, fine, hands off. I'm just going to leave it alone for a while. I think I've even talked about this in the podcast before where when I first came into one of the practices that I owned, I tried to make changes too fast and it it did not go well at all. And so mm-hmm. I had to take a step back. Mm-hmm. I had to let things just be and I needed a timeout sure. because I was getting too frustrated. And that could have easily, and I guess you could say it led to disappointment. It led to some helplessness. Mm-hmm. I don't think I got as far as being burnt out, but... Um, anyway, I, I recovered from that, did some things different. Great. The other side of it though, is the perspective of the team that Mm -hmm. might be making some changes, but they're not being recognized for it. So So they're getting frustrated as well. So, so let, let me, let me put a term in here. That's an important one. Um, you know, Bob Fraser and I go around all the time and we're helping people change. And there's this thing called change lag. You envision a change. Maybe you even get the whole team on board. We all discuss it. We all commit to a change. There's still going to be a space where nothing changes because the whatever old way of doing something is part of the system, sometimes literally part of the system, sometimes part of the culture sometimes just habits in people's heads. Um, Remember, you know, dental offices move so fast that a whole bunch of things get pushed back into the back of our minds into that habit space. That's how we clear up the the space in the front of our mind to make decisions, to respond to patients, whatever. It's not a bad thing. But what that means is that sometimes change lag 
And a dental office is actually longer than some other places where people have a chance to think about their next action, where they where it's not all habitual, where they can actually, you know, change a system in the moment. And dental office, no, y'all are doing dentistry. You, you, you're not thinking systems all the time. And so it's there could be a significant change lag. Okay, there's two ideas here I want to make sure we cover. <laughs> so one is systems that I'm going to say overlaps with structure. You've mm-hmm. talked about structure before in the podcast, but I want to make sure we hit home on that in this top mm-hmm. in this arena. The other is the concept of belief, behaviors, results mm-hmm. that I first learned from Bob. I think you were probably involved in that and how that plays in the order of those things, the value of behavior. You talked about habits. And I just read something this morning, actually, from an author. Uh, Brad Stolberg has a new-ish book called The Practice of Groundedness. And he falls in line with some of the behavioralists uh, that talk about how behavior is what drives us and our beliefs. So our beliefs might drive some behavior, but then our behavior also drives our beliefs. And that's that's a curious thing that it can be it's driven from both ends. Yeah, it can be driven from from both ends. It is true that if we are taught to behave in certain ways, we'll see the world in certain ways. Mm-hmm. But it's also equally true that if we believe certain things about the world, then we'll behave in certain ways. So it's not as simple as, no, I just pick one. And then, of course, I have the keys to the kingdom or something. No, you don't, because it can come from either direction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what you're when you're asking for a change in behavior, what you're going to have to realize is you're inheriting a change in belief or are you going to need a change in belief? Or if you are trying to have a change in belief and like a, a new patient experience, you want, you know, you want them to think differently about new patients. Well, yeah, we're also talking about a change in behavior. Those, those two are, are, are linked such that you change one, it's going to put pressure to change on the other. And also I said pressure because it doesn't make it change like everybody wants to. Oh, I'll get, just get people to believe the right things and they'll change their their, their behaviors. Uh, not that easy, um, but it will put pressure on that. Part of the problem is sometimes teams are just experiencing the pressure without any, you know, help in changing systems or structures or cultures that can actually let the change happen. So the, a lot of times I see leaders putting more and more and more pressure on the team to get them to change something. And I'm down there talking to the team thinking, these guys are already under terrific pressure, but it's starting to be like rock in a hard place. They can't change as fast enough to release this pressure enough, and it's starting to get to them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that falls in that category of habits. And even though a dental office can be a high pressure, high stress, depending upon the day, we develop uh, habits of workflow that we think are stuck so that it's both things. It's We have a limiting belief that this is how it has to be. We have a habit ingrained that this is how we behave. And we can change the belief, but if we don't change the habit, we're not going to have a different outcome. And so... The you can come from 
like you just said, you can come at it from either angle, but realize that both are going to need to have some change elicited in order to have a different outcome. So you can start with the behavior and say, I'm going to do these things different and then monitor the outcome and see how that affects belief. Or you can say, you know what? It's time that we institute something different. I believe we can do better. What habits need to be removed and replaced in order for me to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, the, that's the one that gives a leader um, more power to make the change. Because what you're doing is you're bringing more people on board with that belief that we need to, to, to change something an agreement about what needs to be changed and an agreement about how it needs to be changed. And if you can cover all those and you don't have to have everybody on the team, but certainly the the important people on the team. And if you've got that going, then it's, it's so much easier than to be a leader who is trying to put pressure on a system. It's a little like a fingertip putting pressure. It really starts to hurt after a while, as opposed to a whole hand putting pressure on something where it's like, okay, now this this whole hand feels like support, but if I poke my finger, it's just going to feel like an annoying, uh, hurt, hurtful thing you're doing. Mm-hmm. I want to dovetail that with systems and structure. So we create systems in an office or a workplace. <laughs> In order to efficiently get things done and not forget steps. So a great example is an airplane. A pilot goes in, has a checklist. They follow those systems because that's what is necessary to fly, get ready, et cetera, for the plane. You don't want to interrupt those except when you have an emergency. And even then, in an emergency, you have a checklist. So we have the same things in dental offices, a factory, I mean, any place is going to have this set of systems and what I'm going to say is structures. A great example for a structure that doesn't work is this concept of an obesogenic environment that we live in now. So we have a structure where we drive to work every day and we pass 10 fast food restaurants. So on a busy day when we're stressed, it's a whole lot easier to zip into a fast food restaurant, grab something unhealthy and temporarily satisfying instead of getting home and cooking something healthy. The structure is the problem. Well, so and it, the other piece there for if somebody who wants to change it is the scope of the change needed. Hmm. You know, I mean, in dentistry, you think, yes, okay, great. Well, I'll get everybody here on time and we'll get everybody motivated. But wait a minute, you're not just talking about those people. You're talking about their family, their kids, the traffic flow of the city. I mean, this, you know, making making a change to those fast food restaurants would be to make a change to the the street, the city, the consciousness of the community, the community's place in the the, the nation, the nation's place. In, I mean, it was like, yeah, okay, could we change that? Yeah, but how much is going to take to change all that? A lot. Yeah, so now let's let's bring that down to the more maybe functional <clears throat> level of an office. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like to elicit a change to the structure? So that might be we institute rules of communication, the awareness wheel as a yeah. tool that's altering the structure of communication 
to try to elicit a different outcome? You know, when I go into an office and often I'm called in because an office wants to change and can't, I mean, that's in broad brush why they call me in. And I look for two things very quickly. One is how comfortable are these people with conflict and how comfortable are these people with curiosity or creativity? Okay, because to have change, you're going to have to engage both of those. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you a story. Um, checklists, great. Uh, back in the 1980s, they were having uh, a difficult time with surgeons because they were making a whole bunch of preventable mistakes, particularly in a certain set of hospitals up in Minneapolis. Somebody came up with a really good idea. We're going to have checklists, pre-op checklists, post-op checklists. I mean, you know, let's get this. How do we do? How do we open this up? How do we close this down? How do we check for everything? And it was, and it, it was wonderful. Wonderful. It covered everything, and it didn't work because they couldn't get the surgeons to use the checklist because the checklist in the surgeon culture was an admission that they weren't good surgeons. And the culture is a surgeon should be able to have covered all this, hold it all in his head and do it all. And therefore that belief led to this kind of rigidity that said, I don't need a checklist. I'm, I'm going to stay floating. I'm going to stay free. I'm going to stay creative. Nice idea, but they needed a checklist. Mm -hmm. Well, it, in case you're going into surgery in Minneapolis, I've heard they've totally changed that. And now they all use um Another story was a, uh, I think it was a Korean airliner uh, heading into New York City. And it became obvious to the co-pilot that they were running out of fuel. And that they needed to land the plane quickly. But the captain of the plane refused to deviate from his normal procedure of how to fly out through the territory, get into the pattern, and then land the plane, which is going to take way too long. And at some point, it fell out of the sky because it literally ran out because he was too rigid. So it's always like, okay, I need people who are not, you know, uh, so rigid that they will just let the ship go down without. But then I also need people who are willing to be a bit um, structured and don't make uh, a, 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 a little God of, you know, I can do everything and I'm, I'm all going to, I'm going to prove my perfection. So there's some middle ground in there that we're talking about. So I'm hearing is it's a give and take mm -hmm. for everybody. Well, you're trying to hit a sweet spot. Yeah. Thanks for listening. That was part one. That will be a, a quick three parter covering frustration, disappointment, and burnout. Next up, we will be digging into disappointment. I hope you're not disappointed. <laughs>